0: News
1: Network. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> you hitting us with that glove?
2: <laughs> All right, guys, you know the drill.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you hitting us with that glove?
2: I gotta do this because <laughs> let me
0: tell you something.
2: This episode's gonna be so heavy. Ooh. I gotta hit you with something like
1: it's gonna be heavier than to get, the-
2: to get people laughing a little bit. You know? Mm, yeah, for sure. As always, you know we start the show: fake news or real news, mm. which have been in the past fake or real headlines or whatever.
1: <laughs> we don't know how to play the game, but we're gonna play. Well, we're gonna play it, it anyway. <laughs>
2: Suspicious package mailed to Joe
0: Olstein. Oh no!
2: Suspicious package mailed to Joe Olstein. Found to contain Bible. (laughs) (laughs) That's so
0: stupid, bro!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not, dude. There's no way that. (laughs) Is is that Uh, Babylon? that's 100%
0: Babylon.
2: <laughs> wait, 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 wait. These two possibly might be real news. Joe Osteen targets millennials with new book, You Can Even. <laughs> that's
1: That's real news right there for sure. <laughs> you Can Even, yeah, for sure. Yeah, everybody's or, saying you or, can't even. Yeah, God He's can He's saying even you can't even. even. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Come on, guys. Is what there, do you think? Uh, yeah, it's definitely fake news. 100. percent That's I fake. Think, I don't think we yeah, we have to think about that. You sure? <laughs> yes. That's
2: Joe Olsen we're talking about, bro. Yeah. It's real news. Shut up. No, it's fake
1: news. Okay. <laughs> thank you. There we go. There hey. it is. Hold on. Hold on. Can
2: hey, we with that one clap?
1: Oh. Hey. Oh.
0: Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. No one's gonna listen oh to this. Oh my
1: gosh. <laughs> so brutal, bro. <laughs> what are these racks in a big Sharks all around, wow. a, big wave. Swimming, a big I got that big rank. I got that big these a Hit big him with the glove. Okay, <laughs> like me, all right, all right. Right. Yeah, so hold like has it been thirty seconds, yo? These I'm I'm not trying to get uh, sued by Paris chairs. <laughs> yo, yo, Paris chairs, don't sue me, son. Paris chairs. <laughs>
0: Paris chairs.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm just busy. It's, it's definitely shout out to Paris charisse
2: Paris chairs. <laughs>
1: Uh, That's a good song, this man. We love Big so, Ray. Yeah. Just
2: we, so you dingers uh, know, this was totally Ryan's pick. Yeah. Next episode, I'm picking. So,
1: you gonna sit there and act like that song didn't jam? Oh. <laughs> Stop hitting me with the glove. Anyways, Anyways. Whoa. whoa, Jinx. So you have to not talk for the rest of the episode. <laughs> He's got you there. <laughs> Anyways, um, so you guys don't know because we're releasing all these episodes at once, <laughs> but we took a little hiatus. For Christmas and New Year's and for totaling each other's cars. Mm
0: -hmm. (coughs) I thought it was one car.
1: Yeah, it was just one. But uh, anyways, we're not going to talk about this this episode because Nick just gave me a look like he's pissed that I brought that up.
2: No, but as always, I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark.
1: I thought you were going to hit him with the hey-yo, bro. That's your thing. Hey-yo. Oh Yeah, you're right. You're right. Anyways, and always, this is
0: Bible Dingers.
1: Ooh. What are we talking about this episode? Today we're talking about creation. Creation and evolution.
0: Yeah, creation is still going.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, it only took six days.
0: Maybe. Oh. Or did it. Maybe. Or did it. Or did it. you done?
1: This is a tough topic that we wanted to tackle since we just went over Genesis with you guys. Um, a lot of people find this a stumbling block. And this is actually the cause of a lot of people being atheists. Or agnostic,
0: what are the Whoa. stats on that?
1: Um, you know, at least five of every atheist is atheist because of this. <laughs> um, at least 10 out of
2: 10 atheists, yeah, are atheists because creation.
1: <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know, anyways, it's stuff, for real though, yeah, it's deep. This is kind of a stumbling block for people because a lot of people kind of just accept um, that science is. Disproves God or something like that, um, and that Bible is an antique uh, Bible. The Bible is an antique, you know, book that can't be taken seriously when it talks about how God created the world. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to tackle this. We're going to talk about um, the seven days of creation or six days of creation, um, and whether they were literal or figurative, and what some of the ideas are on that. And then we're also going to tackle the ideas of mainstream science and kind of some problems with that you go to the museum or you go to you know science class in high school and stuff and they have all these theories down as facts um and that's kind of what is the stumbling block for a lot of people that say god is disproven by science or whatever so we're gonna poke some holes in some evolutionary theories so that you guys know and that's
2: that's really not the overall point though just to poke holes
1: right right but it's to show you that What you're seeing at the Smithsonian isn't the absolute truth here. Like, it's not like there isn't another point of view or anything like that.
2: For me, like, the overall premise of this episode is to show how you can believe in the Bible and in science at the same time. Right. They can actually connect to explain each other, and not one can disprove the other, really.
1: Right. And actually, one note that I want to make is that we have we have a really good friend who's a professor of biology um and he he like takes care of animals and stuff like that. He's like a legit scientist. Um and we ran this by him and had him make his notes on on our episode notes so that we knew we were being um what's that word I'm looking for? accurate. Accurate. No. deliberate. No, this is a good word. No, no. Not deliberate. Hey. <laughs>
2: Time to move on. That's <laughs> yeah. what that was.
1: <laughs> Anyways, so we can be—you uh, know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah uh, so yeah, we can yeah. be. Uh, we can do that. Uh, thing. That thing, uh, the thing. All right, Joey, get on with it. <laughs> so you know,
2: Houdini.
1: Where'd your word go, bro? Dude, I'm gonna quit this podcast <laughs> if I don't think of this word.
2: All right, so we will talk about the theories of creation. In other words, there are some theories that, that believe the Earth is old, which could be anywhere from billions to hundreds of thousands of years old. And then there's young Earth that believes that... Well, I mean, you could still be young Earth and believe hundreds of thousands, but typically it's anywhere from six to 9,000 years old.
1: Yeah, somewhere between right? there. Mm-hmm. So
2: each of these theories, like I said, they, they differ in that way. Um, but we're going to go through the pros and cons of each theory. Um, the first one is, is historic creationism, that there is an undisclosed amount of time during verse 1 and 2. And like we talked about the episode before last, the the differences between verse 1 and 2 create a lot of theories. People think that there's a contradiction. Um, we can talk about that in a little bit. Historic creationism believes that after that undisclosed amount of time between verse 1 and 2, that there were six literal days. So this belief leaves room for old earth um, and six-day literal days of creation. Um, And and it allows it to to be both. Um, The pros is that Augustine's view, that this is Augustine's view, is B.B. Warfield's view. A lot of early church leaders believe in this way. Matter of fact, the, um, what was his name? The guy that you, uh, you lent me that book, Mark Driscoll. Yeah, he's he's historic creationism, right?
1: He is, but he's kind of like a taboo in Christian culture right now. Uh, yeah,
0: why is that?
1: Because uh, he got uh, fired from his church. Well,
2: that huh. was like five years ago, dude. Yeah, we can get over that, but yeah. he kind of does give good points. Um, I can't, I'm not going to say if I believe it or not, but a lot of early church leaders and current church leaders, if they weren't fired from their church, would believe in historic (laughs) (laughs) creationism. They would believe in historic creationism. Um, It also allows for an older than six actual days of creation. So it it kind of coincides with what scripture says. And the word here, I don't know what you meant by this.
1: Okay. So um, when it says God created um, in Genesis chapter 1, it's not necessarily saying he formed something out of nothing. When we're talking about the trees and the animals and the people and stuff, it more says that he prepared the trees, he prepared the animals. So it's, it's kind of um, taking the idea that the earth is possibly billions of years old, because there was an undisclosed amount of time between verses one and two, mm. and then God used that billion-year-old dirt on the earth to f- to form and prepare the earth for mankind. Mm. So, so here's kind of how this makes sense. Trees are made from the dust of the earth. Animals are made from the dust of the earth. People are made from the dust of the earth. So when down the line we get down to radiometric dating, and these things seem like they're billions of years old, these animals that we find fossils of or whatever, you could say that, okay, well, historic creationism makes sense because God created these beings out of material that was billions of years old, if mm. that makes sense. And
0: also the the young earth theories are saying that the, uh, God created the earth
1: with the appearance of age. Right. To refute that. That's the next theory is young earth creationism. And that's like your Ken Hams and creation museums and answer in Genesis. Yeah, so the next theory is young earth creationism. And that is where they would say that God created things with the appearance of age and that's kind of the defense of that, that animals weren't placed on earth as eggs or infant mammals.
0: Adam wasn't a baby.
1: Right, Adam wasn't a baby in diapers, so on and so forth. No diapers. Um, So they would say that the earth is only 6 to 10,000 years old based on if you believe in open genealogies or closed genealogies and we'll get into that in a second but they'll say that it is only 6 to 10,000 years old um because the genealogies that we see in genesis but it appears to be old because god created it that way some of the pros to this view is that uh it's really popular currently um in the american christian church oh. we have you know that whole creation museum in kentucky i think it is and uh they got money dude because they made that ark and they're making like a whole convention center and stuff so there's a lot of evangelical christians that believe this view mm.
2: did you know that the same family that owns that museum owns hobby lobby
1: no oh. i didn't know that i knew yeah. hobby lobby was christian but i didn't know i that.
2: believe it's uh steve green and his family that own
1: oh steve green that's your boy right i love steve green or is that keith green
2: no, I hate, uh, I don't hate Keith Ooh. Green. <laughs> You're
1: about to say you hate Keith Green. <laughs> I don't like Keith Green. Who's Keith Green? That's a singer, right?
2: I think he's a country he's singer. a country no? singer?
1: No, I think Keith Green is a Christian singer, like yeah, an old oh, one.
2: Shout out to Keith Green.
1: Yeah, maybe him and Paris Chairs can do a
2: <laughs> collab. Paris Chairs, you know? <laughs> yeah, Anyways. Uh, um, the, the next <laughs> theory is the gap theory, um, and that's the first creation billions of years ago, and it happened... Then a catastrophic event, like the fall of Satan, causing verse 2. So they believe between verse 1 and verse 2, there was a catastrophic event. And within that time, Satan and the angels fell. And then...
0: What, like they tripped? They fell exactly.
2: over a, a rock. No, they rebelled against God. Oh. And that's that was hence the creation of Satan, the being of Satan. Um,
1: and that was kind of like a catastrophic event? that caused the earth to look super old
2: yeah um then god created the earth in six literal days so the earth looked old because he created it first then a catastrophic event happened where satan and the angels rebelled then he recreated the earth in six little days on top of the old earth so the, the pros is that it allows for an old earth and six little days of creation. A lot of them would, you know, agree on that. And it allows time for Satan and the fallen angels to rebel and fall. Um, the cons on this, um, just like the other, is that it kind of reads into the text a little bit. Hmm. And the Bible doesn't talk about this event specifically between verse 1 and 2. We're kind of just assuming it.
1: Right. Yeah, so that's kind of the problem with historic creationism and the gap theory is that you really don't see it in the Bible anywhere. You're kind of just like concluding that on your own. Um, And then the problem with young earth creationism is kind of scientific arguments of today for the earth's age would say that it is far older than 10,000 years.
0: Hmm. But I think the current scientific um, estimate is like
1: 4.2 billion or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So those are the three main ideas for a literal six-day creation. Historic creationism, young earth creationism, and the gap theory. Hmm. Now we have a few more uh, that go over theories that lead to a belief of six figurative days.
2: So there are other theories that suggest that six days of scripture are figurative language. Um, One theory is called the literary framework view, which um, believe that the days are metaphoric and are sort of written out like a poem. Like, the author chose to write it like this because it sounds beautiful, but we really aren't sure of the order, so to speak. Right. Um, they believe that it was just an expression of thought that was so beautiful that it's in Scripture, but it's not necessarily the way it happened. Mm. Um, the second theory is day-age view, um, and each day is described is an actual age. So the age could have been a thousand years. So each day that passed, day one and then a thousand years happened. Day two and then another thousand years happened between that day. So it wasn't six literal twenty four hour days, but um But it was be- in sequence. It was it was in sequence. Right. So they believe like in Second Peter where it says a thousand years to the Lord is it could be a day or a day is a thousand years. They believe that a day is and age right um and then we have another one theistic evolution that god kicked off the earth with the big bang and then evolutionary processes as described by current mainstream science took over then pulled back and allowed nature to take its course
1: right so that's kind of like deism and we mentioned that in the genesis episode that this is kind of like god made everything happen in the beginning and then let evolution take over and mm-hmm. you know man really did come from neanderthals and so on and so forth we all have a common ancestor you know whatever
2: so, so he created the big bang theory essentially right and, and the then, just and then walked like away The big bang. Like, all right yeah not the show right not the show not
1: the show um yeah so the pros and cons for all three of these are kind of the same the pro is that it does fit mainstream science's explanation for life you know it, it allows you to believe everything uh, that they're saying right now. Some of the cons are that the Bible could definitely mean six literal 24 hour days. Um, The Pentateuch overall is more of a historical narrative book. It's not a poetic book such as like Psalms or Lamentations or something like that. Also accepting an old earth view like this, not necessarily an old earth view, but more of a, uh, a figurative view it could kind of entail believing the other things about mainstream science, such as what I described, you know, men coming from hominids or whatever. Hominin? And hominin, whatever. And, you know, then you would also have to accept that animals were dying before there was sin in the world, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, So that's some of the cons to believing so w- these.
2: So what c- what it comes down to is do we believe or— it, are there beliefs that suggest the Bible actually meant six 24 hour days? Right. And in Scripture, we see that the word "yam" is used. Yum 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 yum. yum. Bo- <laughs> so, "yam," the Hebrew word "yam yum yum, yum yum the Hebrew word used for days in Scripture, can either mean a twelve-hour day, a twenty-four-hour day, or an indefinite period of time. But it's important to know how it's being used here and its context.
1: What is a twelve-hour day? So it just means like daytime. Oh, okay. Yeah, yam could mean like the day mm, as opposed oh. to the night. Yep.
0: Go. On, go I guess on there's twelve
1: hours, right, in a daylight. I guess it gets up in New Jersey at what seven, and then it sets at like two o'clock. So that's like twelve hours. Two. O'clock. <laughs> So there's arguments for both sides that it could be literal 24 hours a day or it could be an age. Um, Some of the arguments that it's in a definite period of time is that Psalm 95 and Hebrews 4 both talk about God's rest, which was on the seventh day, and, and it talks about how we can enter into God's rest. So some people would say that that is us entering into the seventh day of creation. Does that make sense to you guys? No. So Psalm, Psalm 95 and Hebrews 4 both speak about how you and I can enter into God's rest. So the argument is that God is still resting on his seventh day that he created in six figurative days. And he's on his seventh figurative day. And we can also enter into that seventh day entering his rest. Does that make sense? This is why I
2: told you to own it. Because is, it, it kind of lost me a little bit.
1: Yeah, what is his rest?
2: If we're gonna get into that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, is that Nirvana?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh man, I was chakra. super focused until you guys distracted me. Just, right, I just, just threw for the record. Off your chakra right there. Yeah, you did. Okay. Six figurative days of creation, and a seventh. This is an argument that days are not twenty-four hours. Psalm ninety-five and Hebrews four, both talk about Christians, you and I,
0: are you doing?
1: Entering into God's rest—that's the word used in Psalm ninety-five and Hebrews four. His rest. You guys tracking with me so far? Shout out Matt Chandler.
0: Uh, keep going.
1: So, people who believe in a figurative six days of creation would say that how Genesis one says on the seventh day God rested that the rest spoken of in Psalm 95 and Hebrews 4 is that seventh day rest and that God is still in his seventh day rest and we are going to join him in his seventh day rest when when we die
0: so is is it just going to be the seventh day rest for
1: eternity Exactly. They're saying that his rest is the rest of time. The rest of time. <laughs> no pun intended. Okay, so... No, you, no.
2: There's, there's a one, lot of cons to that, dude.
1: Yeah. One, one problem is that you're kind of reading into it, um, and his rest could mean heaven. It could mean, like, present rest. I'm talking about in Psalm 95 in Hebrews 4. It could four. mean, like, pre-tribulation. It could mean pre-tribulation. It could mean future rest in like physical things that God wants us to enjoy. It could mean, you know, some blessing in the future. It could be a peaceful life or, you know, what I think most people would say is that, uh, you're just resting in heaven with him. Hmm. And that by taking rest in Psalm 95 and Hebrews 4, so I mean, the seventh day of rest, you might be kind of trying to find, a reason to say that it's a figurative six days and I'm not discounting figurative at all because there's some really strong arguments for figurative. Hmm. But I'm saying that's kind of a a problem with this one argument for figurative. Okay. Another argument for the days in Genesis being figurative is that directly after the creation account in Genesis chapter two, verse four, Yom is used to describe an indefinite period of time. So Genesis 2, 4 says, these are the generations of heaven and earth in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So he's talking about the generations in a day. Hmm. So that's definitely not 24 hours because I don't think anybody at this table at least can pump out generations of people in 24 hours. Well, Give me a chance. I'm not going to give you a chance, Mark. Are you sicko? <laughs> <on> <laughs> Mark shooting a <his> shot. <laughs> Mark shooting a shot.
0: Anyway, another <laughs> yeah, Anyway.
1: Oh my gosh. Oh go. my gosh. Yeah, anyways. Um, Bible dinger. So, Bible that's another um argument for figurative yom.
2: Another, another argument is, is that it seems that God didn't create vegetation fully grown in Genesis 2, 5-7. through 7. It had not rained in the land, and there was no man to work the ground. That's why there was no bush or small plant of the field. Um, that's another argument for the figurative language.
1: Um, but was that only in the garden?
2: Ah. yeah. So
1: that would be one argument against...
2: Exactly. So yeah. Genesis 2 is honed into the garden itself and not a general account of creation vegetation and animals may have already existed as described in genesis 1 but genesis 2 pertains to the manifestation within the garden itself
1: but one problem i see with that argument is that it doesn't say directly that it's speaking about only in the garden it says that's why there was no bush or small plant of the field Hmm. and just and then it just puts a period so you know, it could go both ways. Maybe uh, we'll get in touch with the author. Yeah, hit up Moses. I actually pray. just talked
0: to him. Oh, you didn't mention this question? You prayed to Moses I, too? I <laughs> Two? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. So there's one more argument that the days are figurative, and that's the fact that time itself and 24 hours comes from the earth and it's relationship with the sun. So we spin, you know, uh, on our axis, a full circle, and that's a 24-hour day based on the sun. How could there be morning and evening and 24-hour days if the sun was not created until day four? Mm. So that's another argument for a figurative seven days of like creation.
0: What we call a day is just how we describe how the sun moves. It's, right. It's how we perceive...
1: The universe right Mm. but how would there be a morning and evening and a day one two and three if there's no Sun well does that make sense
2: there's an argument there though oh what is it light can exist without the Sun
1: so what was God like physically in the sky it's
2: God dude (laughs) it's God there are other things too there there are other forms of light right that exist, not just the Sun
1: that I'm not saying that light couldn't have existed I'm saying that it wouldn't be that measured in a 24-hour day. What we
2: measure as light because of the sun.
1: Right. There, there's 24-hour days because of the physical sun in the sky. It's, It was just a way that we came up with to describe days. Right.
2: Hmm. Well, I think there's some arguments for six literal 24-hour days. Yeah, and we can go so over those Let's now. go over them for a little bit. For sure,
1: but they're wrong. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, it could, they could—they could be. They could not be. Oh come on! We're we gonna go over huh?
2: whatever yam, the word yam, yum, yum, "yum." Yum, 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 yum. It's delicious. Whenever yam is used with a numeral, for example, first day, second day, third day, and through the sixth
1: day, it's used with a numeral.
2: It always means a twenty-four-hour day. There aren't any exceptions.
1: Yeah, all throughout Scripture, not one exception to that rule.
2: And the second is that there was evening and morning, was a Hebrew expression that referred always to 24-hour days. Mm-hmm. Um, Genesis one fourteen associates days, yams, with years, reaffirming that this portion is narrative and describing literal 24-hour days.
1: Yeah, so in Genesis one fourteen, he's talking about the, um, the creation of the sun and the moon and stars and it says and god said let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years Mm -hmm. so he's talking about literal 24 hour days against a literal 365 day year
2: Mm -hmm. also when god gave israel the law he told them to work six days and rest the seventh this was to observe what verse 17 says it is a sign forever between me and the people of israel that in six days the lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed israelites were to rest on the literal seventh day just as god did right um also if the days were actually ages or if they were just a general extended period of time the sequence of creation is problematic plants that were created on the third day cannot survive without the sun, which was created on the fourth day, or insects that were created on the sixth day. They could have survived if they were made in 24-hour periods.
1: Right. So uh, the idea there is that if it was sequential, but it was thousands of years in between the creation of these things, how is there plants on the third day, and then we have a thousand years before the sun comes in when the plants need the sun to survive, and also need insects to survive yeah. because they need to be pollinated, and they I weren't mean, created until the sixth day. Um, that's that's kind of problematic for the reproduction of plants and so on and so forth. Hmm. Is there
0: a theory about this being a pre-sin world of why that could work?
1: Maybe. I don't know what that theory is, though. Hmm. But anyways, uh, that kind of goes back to God being the light or God having some kind of light source either way. Um, our biology friend he pointed out that there has been a lot of... uh,
2: There's a lot of research that have been experiments um, where plant growth was stimulated with other means of photo energy besides solar energy from the sun. Mm. And that's assuming that light or manifestation of light could exist without the sun. Mm -hmm. That means plants would have the sufficient light sources to to provide the necessary photosynthesis energy needed to to grow
1: right so that's kind of an argument back from a figurative 24 hours perspective that god was the light or he created some sort of light for these plants to grow over thousands of years without the sun being created Hmm. mark you want to do it and do what let's talk about
2: science let's talk
1: about science baby going to
0: get Bill Nye on the show? Science. Bill
2: Nye, the science guy. How you doing? Bill
0: Nye's a Christian, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally.
1: Absolutely. Bill, New Year's Eve. So I want to point out that science, in its truest sense, is a verb. It's not a noun. Um, It's an action and a methodology that is performed. So would you say, do you science, bro? Right exactly Ooh. and you wouldn't say that science goes against Christianity as if they were two sets of beliefs science is a tool a tool that you can use um, it's not it's not a set of beliefs so you can use this to support your atheistic views or agnostic views or you could use it to prove your Buddhist views yeah. So
2: I I would like to add to that a little bit. If a tool can't disprove that you can't do something. So if you gave me a hammer and you said, here's a hammer, because you have a hammer, you can't build a house ever. Mm. That's trying to use a tool to disprove the very existence of something. Mm. And you can't do that because there are other ways that you could build a house. Just because you just have a hammer doesn't mean someone else can't do it. So you can't use a tool to disprove anything. Mm. It just... It, you're utilizing it to do whatever you want to do with
1: it. Right.
2: So, Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So I want to go over some uh, scientific areas of study where people kind of take it as an errant truth. Uh, and I want to just pose a few questions um, in the realm of cosmology and physics and biology, so on and so forth. So you guys put on your science hats if you're ready for this. Are are they, are they on? Oh did you just put it on?
2: I did. <laughs> nice. That's the sound it makes.
1: Yeah. So the first thing we're going to talk about is cosmology. You guys know what cosmology is? Yeah, it's the uh, <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> You know, make, talking about makeup and uh, lipstick.
1: Right. Yeah. So the study of lipstick really pokes some holes in Christianity. <laughs> yeah. Um Okay, so cosmology is the astrophysical study of the history Structure and constituent Dynamics of the universe hey, that five times how, times you <laughs> oh, how you doing Oh my gosh you
0: doing
1: So basically It's how the universe works um, The study of the stars Yeah Ooh. And I'm not talking about Dancing with them <laughs> I'm talking about studying them. <laughs> <no. laughs> Alright So um, if you guys have not heard our Case for the Bible episode yet, you need to. So stop this episode right now and go listen to that one. And then come back to this moment and listen to this. And my point that I'm going to make here is that people say that cosmology is catching up with the Bible just as archaeology was catching up with the Bible. And the reference I'm making here is that... Um, A lot of people didn't believe that King David existed or, you know, Pilate or all these people existed, but archaeology, as time moves on, is finding out that these people did exist because they're finding evidence for people that are mentioned in the Bible. So people are making the same argument of cosmology, and what I want to talk about as far as cosmology is the steady state theory. And this was the most accepted theory in the scientific world up until relatively recently. And the steady state theory was that the universe had no beginning, that it had always been, it was eternal, and that it was spontaneously creating over and over again. So galaxies were formed, and they had already died, and maybe civilizations of past lived and died, and now it's just our turn and that the universe has been eternal. However, scientists now know that the universe definitely had a definite beginning. And steady state theory was very important to the atheistic or agnostic worldview because it said, okay, we need billions of years in order for this stuff to happen um, using an evolutionary worldview. We need billions and billions of years for this stuff to occur. So we need the universe to not have a beginning because we need time to work this thing out basically.
0: So uh shout out to Hubble. Mm. He he was the first guy to um I don't know, witness the universe expanding. Right. With the UV rays or something.
1: Right. So so steady state theory was the most common theory and all scientists held it, well not all of them. I I don't want to say that, but it was the mainstream scientific theory and so
2: basically in short steady state theory believed that the universe always existed right Mm -hmm. it just always existed right
1: and now science has caught up you would say with the bible and we know that the universe does have a definite starting point Mm -hmm. um and now science is trying to figure out and i think they're kind of spinning their wheels here because i already know the answer but science is trying to figure out how the universe started um and even people like your friend Richard Dawkins, and if you don't know him, he's a very um, outspoken atheist apologist, I guess you could say. Hmm. He uh, he has written a lot of books that are anti-God and anti-creation and so on and so forth. Did he write The God Delusion? Yeah, he wrote The God Delusion. Um, and there's also a book out there called The Dawkins Delusion, if, uh, if you guys want to check that out. But anyways, even Richard Dawkins has admitted that he doesn't know how the universe got its start. How he wouldn't say created, hmm. how it began. And he's on record saying it could have been aliens. I'm not I'm not gonna go into that, but basically well, he said it's possible for an outside source to have caused the beginning of the universe. You and I would say that outsour- that outside source was God. Um mainstream scientists are still trying to figure it out.
0: He's even I've seen a video where of him saying that the universe was created from nothing. And he was really like defending that nothing.
1: Yeah. But another, another point that I honestly, I'm I'm going to be totally transparent with you guys. I don't know a ton about this, but I know it's a super solid argument, hmm. um, is the fine tuning of the hmm. universe. Yeah. And the, Kalam the cosmological argument. <laughs> yeah. So this is part of the cosmological argument. Yeah. Um, Wait, how did I say it? Did I say cosmological? It's cosmological. It's cosmological. Kalam, cosmological argument. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay.
2: I do know that the the overall premise of it is that there are true barriers that need to be addressed when we consider that the universe actually had a beginning. I think... I think
0: it's more accurate. There's so many uh, constituents of being alive, like the temperature and the distance from the sun. And, um, there's all these things that if they were off just the tiniest bit, we wouldn't be here right now. And so that's the fine tuning argument.
1: Yeah. And our, uh, our yeah. friend, the biology professor, he pointed out that there's a one in one trillion chance of the universe to exist as it does. Hmm. And that's not even pointing out the fact that there's life Evolving right on planet Earth, yeah. Which he said is one in six hundred trillion, mm-hmm. which is yeah. insane. Yeah, so it's probably aliens. <laughs> that sounds good. Either that, or I was thinking like a turtle with crystals on his back. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking that too. Yeah. Um. So the next, so that's cosmology. The next thing we want to talk about is physics and biochemistry. Nick, do you know what that is? Say yes or no. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. <laughs> physics and biochemistry. That's, yeah, what is that it? That was my major in college.
1: Oh, well, both of them? Yeah, both of them at oh, the same time. Wow. So you one, double majored.
2: One class taught both.
1: Oh. oh you took there. one class for your major? Yes. <laughs> That's impressive. That's a great class. The University of YouTube. No, no, oh. no, physics.
2: Physics is easy, bro. Come on. Yeah. Oh yeah, physics. Are you doing
0: Oh, I
1: thought that said psychics. <laughs> <I'm>
2: just <joking. laughs> Physics and biochemistry, it's like, and biochemistry. It's something light. It's just like you know. It's uh, it's just a study of molecules, DNA, and other microscopic systems. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. you It's just something light. Baby we don't even have to talk about it. Right. Right. You know.
1: But we're going to. You
2: want to talk about abiogenesis?
1: <laughs> abiogenesis is uh, what we're going to talk about for actually.
2: Phys- our biology friend says abiogenesis.
1: Does he? Yeah. Well, he's wrong. Well, you can ask him then. So he said to you, "abiogenesis." Abiogenesis. Yeah. How do you say it? Abiogenesis.
2: Abiogenesis. Yeah, he that, said. That doesn't sound right. Abio doesn't. He said abiogenesis. We literally just had a conversation on the phone last night about this specific.
1: Topic. About abiogenesis.
2: And he said abiogenesis because I was saying abiogenesis.
0: <laughs>
1: you were not saying genesis. Wasn't. <laughs> I think it's abiogenesis.
2: Abiogenesis. <laughs> <laughs> both of our Both of us screwed up pronunciation.
1: Right. So this was a study of how life could have arisen from non-living matter. So you need this to believe that there was not a creator. You need life to form on its own without anything intervening. Um if you want to, you know, take on the atheistic worldview or whatever. Hmm. So what I want to point out and this is kind of just me bashing the theory and it doesn't really have any kind of scientific weight. But it was born out of communist, state-regulated Soviet Union. Um, Interesting. Which, as you guys know, atheism was like the state religion mm-hmm. of the Soviet Union. So this was kind of a atheist, communist-funded study. Hmm. That's just me being a jerk and, and crapping on the theory. Well, no, if that's a fact. Yeah, I mean, it is fact, but it doesn't really speak to the science itself. Mm-hmm. Anyways, according to this theory, we all came from a uh, a primordial soup. Oh, I've heard this. Is the uh is the term for it um and basically it just says that there's a collection of chemicals just floating around on on the earth. Mm. Um they weren't alive, they were just chemicals. Um and Sopa. Yeah. Which sounds delicious, by the way. Oh, no, you know, (laughs) I confused glove with yum just now. I thought it was going to say yum. Yum,
2: yum, 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 yum. yum, yum. yum, (laughs) yum. We we totally need one of those.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So, this theory says that there was a primordial soup or whatever, and it got acted upon by electrical discharges. And it's not just regular lightning, by the way, it's special lightning. Of of, course. What kind of special lightning? (laughs) Super special lightning. Which also, what does primordial mean? It just means, um, you know, before-mordial. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's primordial. <laughs> yeah. Primordial. Well,
2: primordial is yeah. when they cut it into three. Oh, no, uh, that's
1: trimordial. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely, when oh, they, you're thinking of they bimordial? They cut it into three with a P.
2: Oh, <laughs> they okay. use a P and cut it into three. Because uh, oh, you know how okay. it's shaped like a pizza cutter? Yes.
1: So it's, oh, the soup is. P. Oh. P. oh, I get it, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Anyways, yeah. so... We're, we're a bunch okay. of scientists. I really okay. want to get back to that. Yeah, this has there. been so helpful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So anyways, this this little lake of chemicals, you could say, was shocked by some special electric discharges that came through the atmosphere and created some... Minuscule little single-celled organisms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that lived in this yeah. little soup. Yeah.
0: What are the fine-tuning chances of that? <laughs> Not very strong. Are also, uh, primordial means existing at or from the beginning of time.
1: That's what I figured. Yeah. That's yeah. What before mortial. Yeah, and mortial
2: is time. Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy so, we're all on the same page.
1: This experiment was done in 1952 in the USSR. And it utilized an atmosphere which many scientists of the time believed to be correct for the time period they were trying to recreate. But modern scientists would say that that is not the correct atmosphere for the early universe. Or not universe. For the early Earth. The atmosphere that they used in the experiments consisted of water vapor, methane, ammonia, and hydrogen. Uh, and they were actually able to produce some amino acids through the experiments. Hmm. So they took these chemicals, they surrounded it by this atmosphere, they shocked it with some special lightning, and they created life, you could say, w- with these experiments. And people use this to say, okay, so the universe may have had a beginning, but here's where life came from. We were all some chemicals, and then we got shocked and there's no need for god but the big problem is that modern science does not support these components being making up this atmosphere um and if the now accepted components were experimented on which they were the result is not amino acids the result is cyanide and formaldehyde
2: i think i think the biggest problem with these beliefs is not the fact that they can produce light. I think the the biggest problem is that they can't cause it to replicate.
1: Yeah, so that's now the new problem because they were able to, they are able to make amino acids now, um, but they cannot get it to replicate itself on its own. Mm-hmm.
2: So I think that's the biggest knock.
1: So on it. um, uh, aliens, right? <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's one problem that we have with that experiment is that it doesn't really produce actual living amino acids, uh, at least the original experiment. It produces formaldehyde and cyanide, which is the opposite of life, by the way. You use that on dead things. You use formaldehyde on dead things. Um, One thing that Christian apologists also use to refute arguments of physics is irreducible complexity not physics necessarily, but biology, this is more of a biology Hmm. argument, is irreducible complexity. Um, And that's basically saying that certain parts of an organism are so intricate that they couldn't have evolved. They they need every part that makes up the organism in order for it to function. So the eye has like a 100 parts and it needs every part to function. It couldn't have evolved from from nothing it couldn't have started with one part and then evolved all these hundred parts at the same time to create an eye Mm. but um a lot of modern scientists kind of reject this idea it's not necessarily evolutionary biologists right they would they would um suggest that this is kind of just a misunderstanding of the evolutionary process and we kind of agree with that we don't think Mm -hmm. irreducible complexity is necessarily the greatest Mm. argument for um the christian Mm apologists So one of the last areas of science that we want to hit on is geology and paleontology. Um, Most of you know what geology is, the study of rocks and so on and so forth. Paleontology is the study of fossils, Um, not necessarily just dinosaurs. Those are just the most famous ones. Um, And the branch of paleontology that the evolutionary worldview uses to support their theories is, uh, well, this is one way they support their theories, is through homology Um, and that's where you study commonalities in, in structure and anatomical position of certain members of an organism. They don't necessarily have to have similar functions. They basically just have to look the same. Um, and this is so, so an example of this is how, You know, a chimpanzee hand looks similar to a human hand. And also whales kind of have a hand-looking thing in their fin. And bats and all of these mammals have similar-looking bone structures that look similar to hands. Um, And the evolutionary worldview would say that this points to a common ancestor. We all started from the same place, and we all have features that look the same so we all have to come from one ancestor and then we we all just have these similar traits but a christian would say or you know somebody who believes that god created the world and all the organisms would say that that doesn't necessarily mean we all descended from a common ancestor it could very easily mean that we all have a common creator and um common designer right a common designer so, you know, you could say like a Toyota Corolla has a similar steering wheel and interior and so on and so forth as a Toyota Camry. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same car and they evolved over time. It just means that they're both from the same maker. And Ooh. so they have similar traits. Does that make sense? Why is it got to be Toyota? I'm a Toyota guy.
0: You celebrate Toyota Thon? <laughs> every
1: year um so yeah the information doesn't necessarily warrant the conclusion when it comes to homology just because um something looks similar in in different organisms doesn't mean we came from the same ancestor it could just mean that we have a common designer um and then geology is the study of the earth's physical structure hmm. and the rock that composes it it studies the history and the processes that acted upon that rock.
2: So, is this whole thing about relative dating?
1: Not yet, sort of, but yes. So, we've all seen the geologic column. If you think, if you close your eyes, and you think about the last time you were at a museum or at a sixth-grade um, geology a t- class, I see Rex. <laughs> Um, T-rex bones. you've seen the geologic column and basically it's these layers. You know, are you, do you guys see it in mm-hmm. your head? Especially when I you're do. doing this, I see it. Yeah. Well, the listeners aren't going to see the hand gestures I'm making, <laughs> but I'm moving my hands like this for all you listeners. Like this. <laughs> Just, Just like, like this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, so it's a picture of all these layers of the earth. And they associate it with different eras. So there's the Mesozoic era. There's the, yeah, there's the Jurassic age, the Triassic, the Cretaceous, all these ages. And they kind of have them ordered. And this data is used to prove kind of Darwinian evolution in the geologic field. Um, But a lot like homology, this is kind of circular. Why? Because rocks are circles. Exactly, at least ninety nine percent of rocks <laughs> are just surface. Yeah. Anyways, um, this kind of comes down to a study of rock layers and their dates, and uh, this is the the origins of of the geologic column. And the study is called stratigraphy. I've heard of this.
2: That's relative dating.
1: Sort. We're not getting to relative <laughs> dating yet. You, you love relative <laughs> dating. Uh, The most common form of stratigraphy used is biostratigraphy, and that's where the age of the geologic layer is determined by the fossils that are found in that layer. Mm. So if you find a T-Rex fossil in a layer, then it must be from this time period. Or if you find a polar bear uh, fossil in this layer, then it must be from this time period. It doesn't matter where the layer is in comparison to the layers above or below it. All that matters is the fossil found in that layer. Oh. So say you find a T-Rex fossil, you know, 30 feet underground, and then another 10 feet under that, there's a polar bear fossil. You're like, well, it doesn't matter. The one on top is is older, and the one below is younger. You're just You're just kind of dating the layer by the fossils in the layer, no matter where they are on the column. Does that make sense? Why are they doing that? It's called... Nick? What what is it called? (laughs) Oh, my God. Here we go. Relative dating. Ooh. So that's called relative dating. So every layer of the Earth... Strata. ...has a predetermined era that these fossils are already assigned to. We have a fossil record, and they're already assigned to certain time periods. So since we already know the age, quote-unquote, of these fossils... When we get to a layer of rock that the fossil is in, we just correlate that layer with the fossil. Is this, is this making sense?
0: Is it, it's because if they find a T-Rex fossil, they're just going to assume it was that time period instead of looking right. like at where it actually sits in the earth.
1: Correct. So yeah, so the position of the layer in the earth does not matter. What matters is the fossil that was found in that layer of the earth. That seems backwards. Correct. Because it is backwards, And it's super controversial. Our biologist friend also says that it's very controversial. There's been a lot of instances where earthquakes and other geographic anomalies have caused disruption to the layers. So when you see the geologic column at a museum or in a textbook or whatever, an important point is there is nowhere on the earth that looks like that where the layers are uniform and go from oldest to newest, and they're all there. There's nowhere on this entire Earth where you find that. Um, And another huge problem with the geologic column is that this was created in the 1800s, which Mm. was far before any kind of... The peak of science. (laughs) Right. Which was far before any kind of radiometric dating. So we're going off of these time frames which were thought up in the 1800s and we're saying okay in the 1800s they told me that this t-rex is 10 million years old and so this layer is 10 million years old because we found t-rex fossil in it so the uh the argument
2: it's really about approximations it's not about absolute times
1: right yeah yeah so they wouldn't say this to this year it has to
2: be this year it just it's good for approximations right Let's just say true to science. That's why I'm saying that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I actually pulled a quote directly off of a website of a, a legit university about the geologic column. I'm not going to mention the university because I don't want to make them look bad. But this quote about the geologic column says this. When the time scale was developed, it relied entirely on relative dating based on superposition. The observations in one location was extended to other locations by correlating the fossils small rapidly evolving common pelagic organisms made the best index fossils but the original development was entirely pragmatic and empirical based on observations that fossil faunas occurred in a predictable coherent fashion as shown by smith and his geologic map on england the work predated darwin's theory and any accurate idea of how old the earth was. So the geologic column came before evolutionary theory and before scientists had any idea how old the earth was. And we're still referring to it. Hmm. Thanks for that. Yeah, so we, we still use that method and correlate fossils using that method. And it's, it's, it's kind of circular reasoning. Okay, so that was kind of a big problem with the geologic column that we grew up believing to be absolute truth. Lastly, we're going to hit on radiometric dating.
2: All right, so ways of dating up until the 1950s, like we talked about, was looking at the different layers of rock or the strata, um, the rock strata.
0: Are you doing?
2: The lower down the base of the mountain would mean is older. Relative dating is looking at the rock layers and discovering what fossils were found in the rock layers. Um, The problem with that is that natural disasters disrupt the strata. Relative dating is somewhat good for approximates. They don't use it for absolute numbers. Um, But in the 1970s, it became very popular to do something called radiometric dating. Um, And there are two forms of radiometric dating. One is carbon-14 dating, and the other is potassium-argon dating. Anyway, carbon-14... Um, it it basically believes that all living things is com- comprised of carbon atoms. When something dies, the carbon atoms start breaking down. When they do, scientists measure the remaining carbon in order to come up with a date of something. You could date something using carbon fourteen up to fifty thousand years. Um, and then more recently, they use potassium argon dating. Dating. Hey, dieting. Dieting. how you doing?
1: I remember my first date.
2: Nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, more recently, <laughs> potassium argan, argon dating That's um, the guy
1: from Lord of the Rings? Yes. Okay.
2: So instead of measuring the decay of carbon no. atom, scientists are measuring the decay of potassium atom to an argon atom. The rate at which a potassium atom decays into an argon atom. You can date things up to 4.3 billion years. So wouldn't you want to always use the Point one unquote. that goes... Yeah, so wouldn't you want to always go with the one that goes up to 4.3 billion years? Like, why do people even use carbon-14 anymore?
1: Yes, I would like to. You would like to? Oh, funny you mentioned that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you have something more to say about that.
2: So basically, it takes hundreds of thousands of years for potassium to turn into argon. So potassium-argon dating is only good for things that are hundreds of thousands of years old.
1: Wait a minute.
2: Yeah, so they have to, <laughs> they have to use carbon fourteen anyway. Um, the biggest problems with radiometric dating Burgers. is that scientists very rarely get the same date twice. Um, we have some examples. One commonly known example is the Shroud of Turin. Of what? The, no, the Shroud of Turin. Turin Wells. Turin Wells. Yeah. The Shroud of Turin is what, Ryan? Do you know? Nope. You really don't. No, I really, don't. It's basically sh- it's basically the sh- the shroud that Jesus wore on his face. So they like peeled it off, and you can see pictures of of like his face, what? like the outline of his face. With Wait, the hold on.
1: Are we about to use this as a legit example?
2: No, it isn't a legit example. Dude, it's don't literally do this. no, it's Wait. real. It's a real artifact. It's not real. Wait. like it's not. It wasn't Jesus's shroud. Oh, but it's okay. it's, it's 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 a common. Um, that's what they call it. That's what they call it. Okay, cool. And it's right. very popular. Okay we're not saying it, we actually think it was on jesus's face okay what we're saying is that it's an artifact that is apparently super old and they believe it's somehow connected to jesus and we don't believe that but it is an
0: artifact what, what is the shroud what is that made of it, it's, it's
1: like uh, linens right yeah it's like mm.
0: the linen
2: mm. wrapped the thing that was wrapped around jesus's face mm. so it, you, you could see pictures of it it's actually like his face wrapped around with it's dried blood or whatever it, it's 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 Whatever. Quote unquote right. is. Quote unquote. Hmm. A lot of scientists want Not to date his. it because it's so popular, because it's so mainstreamed. Um, and so there's a lot of data on it. But they cut off an inch square of the shroud and they dated it using carbon 14. And the piece that they used were just millimeters apart, just very, th- th- right next to each other, pretty much. And they get two different drastic dates do you have the dates um i don't have the dates Ooh. but we can uh <sighs> that's important we can look it up but the dates the dates difference is huge we write huge. a blog
0: about it huge. well so what you're saying is that is carbon 14 not reliable
2: it's not reliable so very rarely do they ever get the same date twice on the same thing but now you're taking the same thing and you're you're you're, you're taking a sample that are millimeters apart and you're getting two different drastic dates.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and one thing I want to point out about radiometric dating, which I think is super interesting, as we continue on in the studies and in the science of radiometric dating, we're seeing that the dates are getting younger and younger. And I think this example in particular is awesome. Mm-hmm. That we used to have uh, these mammoth samples that were dated around fifty-two thousand years old, and as we continue to grow in our knowledge of carbon dating uh the most recent samples of this same mammoth have been dated to 9000 years old. Ooh. So not even old essentially. Yeah. That's in a in difference. in an atheistic evolutionary worldview, 9000 years is like, what? That was, a, that was a mammoth? You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, another another um thing wrong with radiometric dating in regards to potassium argon dating is that there's this site in Russia where they test atomic bombs. And scientists knew the date of a planted tree on the site. Um, and we see that, that exposure to radiation can impact the dates that they get from mm, these tests. Right. So after the atomic bomb testing, scientists so happened to date the same tree again um, before the test and after the test. It wasn't their main goal, but they just so happened to do it in the process of doing other things. Um, they redated the tree and um, they got date on that tree anywhere between 50,000 years old or more. Um, and according to reality, the tree was only 50 to 100 years old. Wow. Um, so we know that the earth through its history has been hit with a lot of radiation.
0: I mean, so much radiation just comes from the sun alone. That's mm. what I'm
2: saying. So if we know that, and we know that radiation changes dates on using radiometric dating, then how can the dates from radiometric dating be reliable.
1: Oh, that's a very interesting point. Hmm. Yeah, so we make all these points, um, not necessarily just to say that science is stupid and you shouldn't be reading and you shouldn't be reading, you know, your science textbooks or or whatever. We're we're saying this to say there is not an absolute truth that that you're reading out there that says that God could not have created the universe. Are the these
0: well, it's- A popular refutation is that people think that science has disproven God at this point.
1: Right, and what we're trying to say is those arguments against God are not good arguments, essentially, is what we were doing in this last portion of the episode. It's Mm. not
0: as conclusive as people like to make it seem.
1: Right, exactly. Um, Even if radiometric dating was accurate and the earth was billions of years old, we don't necessarily have to throw out God as creating the universe, like we went over the figurative six days and the, all the possibilities of how God could have created the earth and it still be old. Science does not disprove that God created the world. And I think that's, that's conclusive enough to say. It does not disprove God's existence. And you could also make cases that using science correctly and making correct conclusions can easily prove God's existence hmm. it can homology points to a common creator um the big Bang theory you could say points to God creating everything in an instant like that so yeah we we say all this to say it's a big topic um I'm sure your brains are yeah. are in a primordial soup right now and Ooh. we're super
2: happy that you <laughs> stuck with us
1: primordial throughout super this entire happy. episode
2: we hope you learned a little bit um, if not we hope you learned a lot. Mm. Um, we tried our best to give you this material we know it's heavy Um, but next episode we're going to be talking about exodus and going back to our regularly scheduled program where we're going through each book of the bible Um, we look forward to doing that episode and we hope you keep listening
1: yeah so uh if you guys want to get in contact with us hit us up at bible dingers on twitter instagram we're kind of on facebook but not really um, you can also hit the us website. up website, yeah. You can also hit us up on www.bibledingers.com. And when you are there, give, the give us don't the pass likes, and don't pass don't and scroll. And scroll. Hey, hey. Uh, hold up, oh, up, in up and thing. on this thing, up <laughs> and on this thing. Love you guys. We love you guys. You just had to trump my love, you guys, and had to throw. Your love, you guys, on top of my love, you guys. Well, we can keep loving,
0: yeah. So one deserves her, yet we worship praise.